listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. I'm doing great. Have you noticed that as we've been doing these Jim and Jeff episodes, since things have kind of gotten crazy in both of our lives, um, we've gotten to the point where it's like we can prep for these things like super quick. I mean, behind the scenes, just so people understand, well, we have guests and we do plan on going back to the format where we have a different guest every week. Um, next week, perhaps. Next week, perhaps. Like we've already started that, but mm-hmm. it takes scheduling and then a preparation call and then a recording call on top of everything else, right? So we take a topic like we're going to discuss today and we've worked together so long as like we build a quick outline and we're off to the races. Yeah, we have a few points. Like, all right, what do we want to take take this conversation? Because left to our own devices, we would uh, meander all over this wide open field of identity and or cybersecurity. So we try to come up with a few different bullet points. But yeah, um, we'll have guests um, potentially next week. I think we've got something scheduled, so we'll record on Monday and then get that out for the following Monday. But um, should we get into less meandering and and more? What are we going to talk about today? Sure, absolutely. So, do you want me to try to introduce the topic, or do you have it? You have it down to a soundbite. I have it down to fixed fee versus time materials, or time and materials, aka. TNM or rate per hour or hourly, and really a discussion around what are they, what's what's the difference between them, and why would you want one versus the other? How's right. that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. And I think it's um, this is something that we work on all the time, right? As we're defining projects, putting together proposals, come up with a cost for the project, and whether or not it's going to be a fixed fee or time material. So a fixed fee is just like the name implies is a set price for a, a certain, you know, described amount of deliverables, a scope of deliverables is one price. So whether it takes six months to build it or six weeks, it's one price the time materials is the exact opposite. It's, um, you know, you define the scope of deliverables, but it's usually built on a per hour basis. Could be on a per day basis, but essentially how long it takes to, um, you know, create that deliverable um, results in how much as a client you're going to pay for that, that work. So ultimately what we're talking about here is you know, the, the risk to cost equation. So it's, you know, who's bearing the risk of getting those deliverables that everybody can agree like, yes, that's the set of deliverables that we want to create. Um, the risk is on the party that, um, you know, if it's a fixed fee engagement, um, the company that is providing the statement of work uh, or selling the, um, the service is taking the risk, uh, that if they can't deliver it within, you know, a period of time that they expected they would be able to deliver it, they still have to deliver it. So they could potentially lose money on it. 
on a time materials basis, the buyer takes the risk because the buyer may not get the deliverables for what they expected to pay. Um, you know, they do that with the hopes that potentially they get it done for even less. You know, potentially they bring some of their own um, labor to the, to the table or they do a really good job at, you know, managing the project and therefore kind of get what they want and what they've been, you know, what those deliverables are for fewer hours. And you have confidence that the resources that are coming in will be able to fit right in and be productive. The way I look at it is fixed price is like being on a salary and time and materials is like an hourly worker. <laughs> so um, there's benefits and drawbacks to both sides for sure. Uh, but that's the way kind of look at it. Okay. You're, if you're, if you're doing something that's time and materials, either, you know, rate per hour or some sort of hourly rate, you're getting billed essentially for whatever's worked, whether it's productive or not. You're essentially paying for the availability of an individual. And sometimes that can include overtime. I have seen contracts where, um, anything over 40 hours, just like anything else, uh, at least in the U S from a labor perspective does contract at time and a half. And when you're talking about hourly work rate versus, um, yeah, on a contracting rate, it could be pretty expensive. <laughs> and then when you hit time and a half time, that gets really expensive. So you certainly want to kind of think about what the approach is between fixed price. Fixed price, I think you share the risk. It's like, okay. But I think that only really works if you've got well-defined deliverables, scope, you know, a deadline, um, and confidence that things will get done in the time and, and you know, cost that the vendor says that they will. So if I go out and say, Hey, I'm going to build you, I don't know, I'm going to run your identity and access management operations for, uh, you know, $2 a month, something totally ridiculous. Okay. That sounds like a great deal. <laughs> Sign me up, <laughs> right? As a customer, what are you actually getting for that $2? Because there's a, usually a lot of stipulations because everyone's in this to make money. Everyone's in it to save money. So those are two competing forces. What, what happens is corners get cut, scope gets reduced. Uh, the quality of the people who are doing the work may not have as much experience or exposure to the products, uh, or they can swap people in and out and there really isn't any continuity maybe within projects like that. Um, so it's, it's an interesting spot. I, I think when we talk about sort of like, what's the difference, it's two absolutely different models. Um, Personally, I tend to be more of a fan of fixed fee because I feel like it is something predictable from a cost perspective, especially if it's something that we have a, you know, I have a high degree of certainty. Okay. I've done a number of these. I know what the effort generally is going to be. Sure. There's going to be a little variations here and there, but I think I can get it done for X amount of dollars. And then from a budgeting perspective, I know that, okay, this is what my budget is. I can spend X. I work with my partner and say, okay, here's what I've, here's what I've got available. You know, does the scope make sense? Can we fit that in the budget? Great. Go get it done. I'm not expecting to then get later a bill that says, oh, well, I got half of it done. We're only halfway through. Now the burden has shifted over to me as a provider, maybe to make sure that I get things done within that fixed price. So now the risk is on my side. Yeah. As you're talking about that, it, it painted a, or it, it triggered kind of a bigger picture discussion here, which I think is how IT or how companies, buyers view 
vendors. If they're viewing them as partners, or if it's kind of an adversarial relationship of, I need X, I want to pay as little as possible to get X. And if you suffer in the process, that doesn't matter to me. And so I've been in both scenarios, though, uh, in a, you know, I'm not going to name names, if you will, <laughs> but working in IT kind of earlier in my career, I worked on a team and I think the attitude of many of the people I was working with was if the vendor that I'm working with makes very little profit or no profit or loses money, then we win. We got something for less. And it was kind of like, all right, if we could get a fixed fee contract with that vendor and then try to add scope, right? Or if we had, you know, time materials and we could work them really hard to get what we needed for less money or try, you know, the biggest trick in the book that we, <laughs> I don't even want to take credit for this because I didn't like it, but it was try to do a time materials with, um, I, I forget what it was actually called, but the idea was get all the deliverables listed, then do time materials, try to push down the time materials number and then get that. You know, basically when you run out of hours, be like, yeah, but you promised us all these deliverables. So where are deliverables? And then you're out of hours, right? And some companies wouldn't stick up for themselves because it was so important for them to have that, that customer. Contrast that with later in my career, and this was at two different firms working with the, C the CIO and hearing the CIO talk about these vendors are our partners. And by being partner, we have to make sure that they're successful. If we make sure that they're successful, they're going to make sure that we are successful. It's that win-win relationship. And sure, there's, uh, I'm not saying there's not always going to be some jostling, but I think if that's the overarching approach is that it's got to be win-win. Both parties have to come out of this feeling good about it. Then you're going to have a partner that you can reach back out to later to you know, get some help on something. That's actually a point. I think you got to be careful who you, if you get into that situation where it's a race to the bottom and you, and you become unprofitable as a customer, there is no reason to continue that relationship for me on the business side. Oh, you know, I'm, if, 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 if you're costing me money the same way that any other business, you're going to look at that and say, is that a relationship that makes sense? Maybe it is, maybe it's strategic, you know, maybe, maybe one project loses money, but there are other projects that sort of make up for it as kind of like the whole, right. When it comes to working with that, so things, you know, what happens if you're a smaller company and you are taking on these projects and you aren't profitable. And if you're not profitable, you're not able to invest to get better people, more people, not better people, but more people, you know, the right skill sets that you need to continue to grow with the company. That then puts the company at risk that contracted you to say, okay, well, we've sort of outgrown you, but we also made this such a, such a difficult relationship for you. We never, you never even had a chance to keep up with us. And yeah. that change, you know, can, can be an issue. Okay. Well, company goes out of business. Now you're stuck with no support or, you know, it and shambles, and you've got to recover from that as well. So I think, you know, with that as the, uh, the as the you know, background context, you can go either TNM or fixed fee. I think if you know that there's a partnership there, 
and that it's not just adversarial. So, you know, generally when I'm putting together a proposal that's on the consulting side of the house, it, it's something that I have a high degree of confidence that I can do within a certain, you know, number of hours, for example, then I feel more confident in going the fixed fee model. So if it's something I've done many times or do all the time, or I've got a framework and I know what the bell curve looks like, I can feel pretty confident going in with a fixed fee. The less confident I am, the, the, the less I want to go fixed fee and I, the more I want to go time materials. I guess if there's that trust relationship there, I look more to say, all right, well, what do you need it to be? What, you know, what, if you need it to be fixed fee, fine, but just understand I'm going to do my best job to estimate this. I'm going to do my best job not to overcharge you for all the risk I'm taking on because then the number's going to look like totally ridiculous. But what you have to do is like, if we get off the track of, you know, some of these deliverables, which we didn't, you know, it's hard to say when you say, I'm going to write a document and the document is probably one of the, the simplest, um, <laughs> yeah. deliverables where you can say, okay, it's a, a certain amount of money. Right. But you know, a document could be two pages long or 2000 pages long. It could be, you know, very deep and very detailed, or it can be very high level. So, you know, we kind of have, maybe it's a conversation or maybe you do your best to define in the contract what level of depth, but there's always some ambiguity. And so that's where the partnership becomes important is that, you know, you kind of work with each other around what that ambiguity, how you solve for that ambiguity. Yeah. I think that's where the clear requirements come in. If you've got a clear scope, I think it lends itself better typically to a fixed fee versus if you don't know what the heck you need, <laughs> maybe you just need somebody available Then maybe at time materials, you know, probably makes more sense or TNM. Um, those dynamic requirements can really be an issue because I know that sometimes, you know, we'll get into, you know, work you and I have both done the past. Like, okay, well, the scope was this. And then all of a sudden scope starts to creep and creep and creep. And next thing you know, now the scope is far beyond what was originally agreed to. And the relationship maybe wasn't there to kind of call, call each other out, right. And keep each other accountable and say, okay, Hey, this is, this has gone above and beyond kind of what we've, what we've kind of come together. We can do it, but we need to review, you know, what this is going to mean from a, from a pricing perspective to make sure that, um, you know, it's still a mutually beneficial, uh, arrangement. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board with that idea of this is a partnership. I think regardless of whether you're doing time materials or fixed fee, it's still a partnership. I mean, these are people who are be going to be doing work on your behalf or for you. And, you know, you want you know, good people and good work. And, you know, why not treat it like a partner? I've been in some situations where like, ah, oh, that's just a contractor. Don't worry about them. They'll be gone in four weeks. Okay. Um, that's cool, <laughs> I guess. But, um, that really, that attitude, it doesn't serve you from a leadership perspective say, okay, am I going to get the best out of this project? If that's the attitude I'm going into it with, if it is that adversarial type of approach. Is there ever a scenario you mentioned you like fixed fee better. And I'm assuming you meant from the buyer's perspective. Um, is there ever a time where from the buyer's perspective, you prefer TNM? I think if I don't know what I want and I need to have, 
hey, you know what, let me, is it okay if I give you a call from time to time to bring you in to have a conversation with my team around X? We're about to roll out uh, the system or, hey, we're designing, I don't know, password uh, management and, you know, we're coming up with secret questions. This is the old days, right? When KBA was a thing, knowledge-based authentication, you know, reviewing some of those stuff where it's okay, well, we think we've got it, but rather than going through this whole process of like, let's create a statement of work and have it run through legal and audit and all kinds of other, you know, things, maybe there's some sort of like retainer type approach that is hourly based to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, sure. You know what? Um, I'll set aside two hours a week for you or four or eight, whatever the number is, call me, whatever. Let's get it on the calendar and let's have that conversation and, and, and make it easy, right? From a buyer perspective to do that. You could do the same thing on fixed fee. You know, there's nothing, I mean, fixed fee, all it is, is you're taking that same ability, uh, taking that same availability from an hourly perspective, trying to bottle it up into something that's a little more predictable. And then, you know, spoiler alert, I'm sure everyone knows this. There is usually some contingency added on top of that to account for the potential for the risk. Sometimes it's more or less, just depends on the risk associated with the work, right? Maybe, maybe the scope and the deliverables aren't really fully fleshed out, but we know we need to get something. Hey, let's do some sort of monthly retainer. You see this a lot in like legal industry, right? Well, you can have, you have a lawyer on call. <laughs> um, maybe you're, maybe you're very litigious or your customers are very litigious and you need to have that kind of coverage. Um, so you can do the same thing on either side. I think the fixed fee for me personally makes sense as a buyer because it's predictable. I have a line on my budget. We're going to do X. It's going to cost us X. I've already worked it out with my partner that I'm going to work on that with. We're good to go versus trying to make a budget that says, okay, well, we think we're going to have this spend. We're not sure if we're going to get it. It's totally hourly. So there's variance. Maybe we come in under budget. Great. Maybe we go over, over budget and we're kind of scrambling later to try to figure out how we're going to pay for it. Um, that predictability is the value of just that alone, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think where I would like time materials is if I feel like I can spend less than the total amount of the proposal. So let's just use a nice round number. Say it's a $100,000 proposal. And I feel like I have good project management skills or a good project manager. And potentially I have some resources who are like FTEs or maybe even like a summer intern or somebody who's on loan to me who doesn't hit my project budget, um, but is available. And I'm not 100% sure what tasks this person can take on. So I'm willing to have budget in my proposal for my, um, my system integrator to do those tasks, for example. However, if I can do them myself with this intern person, um, then I, I don't need to pay you to do it. So if I have those two scenarios, one, I can, I feel highly confident that I can project management and two, that I've got some resources that potentially can get a lot of this work done. Either I'm not sure if they can, or they can't, or I'm not sure if they're going to be available or they're not. So I build in kind of not worst case scenario, but you know, likely scenario or realistic scenario into the proposal, into the statement of work. But with that good project management I, and the, these potential resources, I can spend less than the total cost of the proposal. Now, I think there are scenarios where, look, there are going to be some projects where you just can't get 
an unlimited budget to get it done. And that's where if you have, and not unlimited budget, it, it just sounds kind of ridiculous. There's never an unlimited budget, but maybe something only that- one you, company I've worked with that had an unlimited budget. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, budgets, generally speaking, for us mere mortals, are, there is a limit to it. <laughs> but sometimes what you want to get done is some, some projects are like, you know, this is a big project. Maybe it's, you know, um, got some claim to a, an acquisition or divestiture has a separate budget. So it's got plenty of money and you don't have to cut corners, but then there's that pet project that you really want to get in. Maybe it's, you want to put in a new cloud entitlement infrastructure management pro, uh, system, right? And you don't have like a great business case, but you just know it's going to be a game changer for you. So you need to get it done. Now, what I'm saying is if you have a partner who you've got that relationship with, you can say, look, I really need this to be like fixed fee, $45,000, and you go and do this project. And, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But it's more just, it, it, that sounds really terrible or potentially illegal. <laughs> so I'm definitely not. Uh, recommending people do anything illegal, but what, yeah, don't break the law, please. Don't break the law. <laughs> oh, we heard it on the Identity Center podcast. They said it was okay. So, you know, judge, please let me off. Thank you. That's legal. Just <laughs> that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. Um, but I mean, certainly what we talked about with the, you know, having a, a vendor who it's kind of that give and take relationship. I think you can get there. Yeah. I think, yeah, you brought up something about the, the time and materials when I think is important. It's, Really, it's it's a lot more involved if you are the customer of a time and material statement of work, for example, because it does require you to have much stronger project management, um, you know, much deeper hands-on into the project, the direction, and making sure things going well and where you want it to be, and, and being you know more corrective when, when it needs to be. Versus, not saying that you don't do that on the fixed fee side of things, but generally, fixed fee is you kind of okay, we're handing this off. Doesn't mean there's not involvement, but generally some of that stuff is, is less of a concern. The other thing I was thinking too, from a fixed fee perspective that I like from a buyer side is that it's finite. Here's what we're going to do. And here's when it will be done by. And there's not this drip, 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 drip of, oh, we just need five more hours, 10 more hours, 20 more hours. And you get stuck in the sort of this, okay, well, we're so close or, Hey, you know what? For another 20 hours, we can add this shiny bell. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. For another 20 hours, we can add this other shiny bell. Right. I, I like that on the fixed fee side. It's like, okay, it's a very, it's, it can be a finite thing. You got an MVP. Great. Let's stand it up. Do I do more things after that? Cool. But at least, you know, what you're going to get as, re, as the end result of it. It's almost like the, um, the difference between an on-prem solution or a SaaS solution, right? It's like the SaaS solution, you're being driven to a set of best practices. And if you want to go outside of that, it's, you know, proceed at your own caution. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. I, I think though, it's like, but you lose that flexibility. So what Absolutely. We, you know, if you're designing a user management system, right? And you've got your MVP, maybe you, went to the extent of doing a, a plan and defined phase before you went into build and you did like mock-ups and everything. Then you start like putting the system together and realize, oh, we need to do these five other things. 
well, if it's fixed fee, I mean, realistically, if you're doing project management in a formal way, you should be doing a change request either way, even if it's a no no cost um, change request. But I think a lot of times that doesn't happen if it's small enough. Again, this is probably where the um, relationship comes in. So I'm going to beat that dead horse a little bit. Uh, But if you realize that you just want a button over here or another little feature over there, like if you roll it out to your customers without that, it just might not be acceptable. But these might be things that you didn't realize until you went in and had your QA testers look at the system. What about a situation where maybe both make sense? Maybe a project that is partial fixed fee and then maybe something else that's maybe either associated or kind of closely, you know, uh, near it that might be time and materials. What about a situation like that? I've seen a couple of scenarios. So the two scenarios that come to mind are like fixed fee where it's like, say, you know, I've been on the advisory side. So doing an IAM strategy is something that we've done enough times that we can put together. Here's a good fixed fee amount. And then the client realizes, well, on top of that, we got some other work that we'd like to get done. So put some time material bucket of hours in the, in the, for, er, in that proposal. I generally would rather split those into two different statements of work so that you can manage them separately. Um, but I don't think that's the scenario you were talking about. From an implementation perspective, I think doing a plan and define phase where you do your requirements gathering, your system design document, your project plan on a time materials basis, you know, it's it's small enough that you should be able to build it out, but at the same time, because usually you're building these with a new, or oftentimes you're building these with a new client. You don't know how available resources are going to be, how knowledgeable they're going to be. And you go through that whole process of putting together the requirements, the design, the project plan. At the end of that, you have a really good idea of what exactly needs to be built. And you've had time to kind of map resources to tasks and all of those things and what your test plan is going to be, et cetera. So I think doing a fixed fee for the implementation at that point is a very reasonable ask. I think you could potentially do both those phases as a fixed fee, but I think, you know, fitting kind of what you're going for is like, especially that plan defined phase, if you've never worked together before, it's like, why not, you know, try to share the risk between the two organizations rather than one organization taking all the risk. Right. I think there's another scenario too that you could probably spit in there would be um, support. So usually, I, like I've seen become more popular where, you know, you've got a contract, for example, to deploy an IAM system and you're going you're gonna to plan it, you know, design it, build it, you know, all that good stuff. And then because nobody really knows what's going to happen from a go live perspective, we kind of talked about this last week, but... You know, the best case scenario is nothing happens. It just works and, and there's not a lot of support needed. But there could be scenarios where, yeah, there is issues that come up. So I've seen scenarios where that go live sort of like hyper care, you know, available support that might be done based on a time and materials basis. Um, you know, if it, if it goes well, great. You know, there's less cost there. If there are issues, then maybe you, you do pull in people to, you know, to help troubleshoot what that is. So I think that's another area too where, if you're looking to have maybe like a blended approach that that might be something to think about too. 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of that scenario reminded me of something I was thinking earlier as we talked, which was kind of early in my IT days, there was a lot of projects that dealt with outsourcing data center operations. And I think one thing to, to be aware of, if you haven't gone through that before, is that a lot of times big data center firms would come in and say, what are you spending to run your data centers today? And then it would be, well, outsource all of that to us and we'll do it for 60% of what you're paying now, right? You're spending a million today, we'll do it for 600,000 a year. You look at that and you say, how is a, co a for-profit company going to do it for 60% of what we've been doing it with, you know, our own internal resources and, you know, well, obviously they've got, um, scale as their, as a factor economies of scale. Uh, but the other thing is they're going to change order you to death. So, or it's not even only change orders, but you know, usually that 60% is assuming you run your data center server for server, network equipment for network equipment, rack for rack, exactly the same. Oh, you want a new rack with five servers in it? You're going to pay, you know, 300, 400% of what you would have paid for that had you stood this up yourself. So eventually you're going to go way beyond what you were paying before. And over the course of five, six, seven years, I mean, you might not have one iota of the same equipment that you had in the beginning of the contract. And so I think sometimes like companies in that kind of scenario, they're really pushing for that fixed fee. And from a CIO perspective or from a buyer's perspective, they're like, yeah, this is the greatest thing. I'm going to save the company all this money. They save that money in the short term. What I've seen with, with deals like that happen, in my experience is like people who sign off on those deals are often not with the company a couple of years down the road, either because you know, obvious, it came out obvious that like, this was not a good deal. Um, or that's just their career progression is to move on, but other people get stuck holding the bag and yeah. those deals are very hard to get out of. Yeah. So here's the million dollar question, which is better. Which is better. Can I just say it depends? Of course we're consultants. <laughs> we're consultants. I mean, it really does depend. I think it's all those situations we talked about, but I think if you've got a partnership with the vendors and I think the smart IT people today should be looking at it, especially if you got kind of executive shops is I'm going to depend on these vendors to make me successful. So I'm going to approach this for a win-win. I think it doesn't matter time materials or fixed fee. Because you're going to be doing multiple deals with this company, you're probably going to go back and forth between the two. So you're probably going to do both. I think as somebody who's selling projects, somebody who's proposing projects, I like to do time materials or I like to do, let's just start with fixie. I like to do the fixed fee when I'm doing something that I've done many times. I can do a great job of predicting it because I don't have to add that much additional cost to cover my risk. I have to add a little bit, but for the most part, it's like, I know I can do this project and that the bell curve is going to tell me that 80% of the projects are going to fall right here in the, you know, right in the meat. And then only 10% of the projects are going to be over 10% are going to be under. So I can come up with a good estimate. 
it's the projects that are kind of novel to me. Either I've only done them a couple of times or I do them a couple of times a year. Maybe I've never done them before. And I'm working with a client that I haven't done that many projects with, or I haven't had great success controlling the scope with that client. I know that client has a lot of organizational change going, things like that. It's like, I'm afraid to take that risk. And then if I do take that risk, I've got to build that risk into my price and overcharge the client or potentially lose the business because my price is too high. Yeah. Some, uh, so, you know, you've got good customers. You sometimes you got other customers that could be a challenge. So, and some people need to learn to be a customer as well <laughs> in the space. That's a, that's a good point. Some yeah. people, I mean, especially, you know, people who haven't been customers before, but even like I was talking about that one experience that I had where it was kind of like beat the vendor senseless and that's mm -hmm. winning. That is not a way to be a good customer. You know what? When, if I was on the vendor side of that, I would not want to do business with that client anymore. It's like, I already have the logo. Thanks. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful for those shops that are looking to just collect logos and then move on. That, That's, that is a real thing in this industry. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's dead, dead beats on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, for me, what's better depends as well. Um, I think I tend to prefer fixed price model because. I want to make sure that we have the scope pretty well defined before we enter into something to build to whatever or run or plan something out as much as I can. Um, the other thing is that it's, it's easier to manage rather than having to do like hourly billing and then send invoices every month. It's like, okay, here's fixed fee. Here's what we're going to get. We've already done the planning up front. Will there be wrinkles? Sure. Right. And we'll address those come through, but just for the ease of management and being able to say, okay. You know, here's, it's a simpler approach, um, more predictable makes it, I think those pros in my mind outweigh, uh, you know, the cons that can come out of it, but I won't say that every contract that I put out there is going to be fixed fee. You know, some will definitely be hourly just based on whatever makes sense for the, you know, for the given project or different given customer, whatever it may be. Um, but I am, I, I do prefer fixed price for both sides just because I think it's easier to, it's easier to budget for. And if we've done our job up front, both sides in identifying the scope, I feel more confident about the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. What I was thinking of earlier that I couldn't remember the name of it was not to exceed. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I think is like the worst of, worst of all worlds. <laughs> if you're on the selling side of things where it's like, okay, I've removed all the, um, the buffer for risk and you know. I'm basically guaranteeing these deliverables. So you might just, you might get a discount, but there's no, the, all the risk falls on me. So I think if you're on the client side, um, you could benefit from that scenario. But again, I guess my advice would be to emphasize trying to achieve a win-win, not just beat up the vendor. Yeah, I think a, a not to exceed is good for a budget item, but just does not prevent you from not finishing a project. You can absolutely run out of money and work will stop. Even just because it's not to exceed doesn't mean <laughs> that work will continue. Um, that's where the relationship comes in. But 
hopefully people will get into that situation. And, uh, you know, I think for the most part, people do the right thing and nobody's, you know, most people aren't in this business to basically sign statements of work and then not deliver. They're going to have a very short career, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no matter right. what they're doing, if that's what, if that's what's happening. Right on. I think that's enough of fixed fee versus time and materials. You want to end on a lighter note? The fun stuff. Of course, man, I'm ready. Right. You came up with this one. You texted this to me a few days ago and I was like, yeah, I'm in for that. Let's, let's bring yeah. it up. So speaking of both sides of the aisles, they're deadbeats, right? And you could definitely say that about Congress. Gosh, I'm going to get myself in trouble with somebody, right? But we're not um, going to get sponsored by the U.S. Congress at this point with that kind of talk, Jim. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you don't hear much positive talk about politicians. But anyway, I thought they were doing something pretty cool, which was doing an investigation of UFOs. And I guess the U.S. Congress went going back 50 years, which... Believe it or not, I'm less than 50 years old, but going back 50 years ago, they did the same investigation, like, are UFOs real? And I've seen some of this video. I mean, the thing is, like, we talk about deep fakes on this show. There mm -hmm. could be so many, like, faked videos, but it looks like, you know, um, different types of uh, video from radar systems in airplanes, like... Uh, like Air Force jets, and there's flying objects that are moving in ways that um, today's modern technology should not be able to do. And I guess it's gotten to TV and, you know, the news shows, and so now people are saying there must be aliens. So I guess the question is, first, are there aliens? And then the second question is, if the answer is yes, do you think they've been to Earth? It's an interesting question. Well, I'm a, definitely a sci-fi nerd, so I love to watch sci-fi stuff. So I do think that there are that the odds of the human race being the only sentient um, entity in this ginormous galaxy of ours seems low to me. Like, I feel like there's probably something out there, but I also think that space is so vast, we may never even know. We could spend generations, millennia, and never bounce into anything else. So I want to say, I find I struggle with the fact that there's got to be more out there somewhere. I'm not a tinfoil hat or a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I just feel like from an odds perspective that there is something out there. Have they been to Earth? Was the second question? Was that it, Jim? Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like that's something that would be so momentous that it would, and so difficult to cover up that if they had, we wouldn't know about it. Or we were so far back as part of a species that we didn't even know or, or were in the, had a capacity to recognize that something happened. So given that, um, what about all these videos that they're showing where it's like these flying objects or you know, making zigzags in the air that, you know, and they look like flying pyramids or something like that, where you're like, okay, that doesn't even look like it should be able to fly. Do you just think it's a hoax or? I don't think it's a hoax. I mean, not, I mean, some of them certainly probably are. I think there, I think there could be any number of explanations. I mean, without looking kind of the videos, I think sometimes 
you know, your mind will play tricks on you and kind of, you'll see what you want to see, you know, oh, that's a weather balloon. It's just floating around in air currents and it's moving in directions that no normal craft should be able to take. Well, yeah, it's just a sheet of nylon or mylar <laughs> floating in the wind. It's going to look weird, maybe at different angles. Um, I haven't seen anything that is convincing to me. Um, if you have convincing alien footage, feel free to drop it to me on LinkedIn. I'd love to take a look at it. I just, I personally haven't seen anything. I was like, oh yeah, that's, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. Um, and I think that's probably hampered by the technology of, of the time too, where video quality wasn't, you know, there. So you're really getting kind of like grainy pictures or recordings or whatever it may be. That doesn't help. Um, I don't know if I've seen, I don't know if I've seen an alien quote unquote alien or UFO in modern times captured by a smartphone of decent video recording capability. So yeah, I, I, I haven't seen anything like that, but I've seen some of the, um, the things they've picked up on like air force jets and that stuff looks pretty convincing, but it's so low res and it could be a mm -hmm. hoax. What about the stuff like, um, uh, area 42 or what? I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but you know, area they, 53, area 53, right? <laughs> and don't forget 40, 42 is the, the lesser known cousin of area 53. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what do you think of that? I mean, do you think that's just lore? No, I think, I think it exists. There is certainly top secret military bases. Every country has them, you know, what goes on in them is certainly up for speculation. I'm sure there's viable and not viable things that are happening there, but, um, no, I mean, if you're at like area 53, area 53 is a real place. It's, it's a spot in, I think Nevada New Mexico, or something like right? that. New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's certainly something there, you know, what's taking place on it. I don't know. You know, I guess if you, if you work on a military base and you feel like, you know, dropping us inside information, we'll break it here. Identity at the center, <laughs> no better news outlet. <laughs> for your, everybody uh, UFO will needs. hear it. Everybody <laughs> yeah, will hear it then. Yeah. Well, there'll be literally dozens of people who will be on there. <laughs> so what about you? Do you believe in, in aliens or UFOs or whatever you want to call them? I definitely believe in aliens. Yeah. I mean, so my, I just think it's a mathematical thing where look up in the sky and you see how many stars there are. Even when you're, even when there's light pollution, you're just like, oh my mm -hmm. God, there's so many stars. But if you look at a picture of the sky with no light pollution or with a, you know, a telescopic lens of the sky, I mean, there's just so many stars and so many solar systems out there. There's gotta be other planets that are, that would be habitable for life um, and for intelligent life that, I just think it's impossible that there's not. Now, are we sitting in a time where we just happen to be the most advanced um, intelligent Species, life yeah. in the universe? I think that's just highly unlikely. Because look at how much, um, I mean, human um, humans have advanced in the last hundred years from a technology perspective. And, you know, I think humans have been on the earth for like four or 5 million years. That's, that's like a blink in time in the, the total time that the universe has existed. And so I think 
Is it possible that we're the first? Yeah, I think that's possible, but I think it's highly unlikely. So I, I, I feel like, you know, if some, some planet started with some amoebas like the earth did, and then just kind of hit that sweet spot where it became very easy for life to exist. I think life should be wiped out on any planet. So I think that, you know, even if you had like the perfect, like earth 2.0 out there somewhere, it can get hit by a, um, asteroid or something and be completely destroyed. It's like, okay, reset, go to the next one. Um, but I just think that it's likely that there's intelligent life, that they're far beyond us. And I think if humans were able to continue to evolve, I definitely, I guess, I think humans are our own worst enemy. I feel like probably the end of human civilization is going to come at the hands of humans. Will some humans be able to escape Earth and go and repopulate somewhere else or live in some kind of spacecraft? I think that's possible. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I definitely don't know that. But I think at the, the rate we're evolving, given enough time, people will be able to escape the Earth and move throughout the universe and continue to repopulate or or live much longer lives and you know, achieve speeds where we could reach other solar systems and things like that. And so if that could happen with us, I think it'd be possible for other civilizations to do the same thing. So okay. I well, think heard... that UFOs could be real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've heard it here first. UFOs are real. Uh, this is breaking news for identity the center. Uh, we should call this, I don't know, maybe we change the name of the podcast to, uh, I don't know, humans at the center of the galaxy <laughs> or not. Yeah. Or not. Um, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I think it's a math thing. I think it's just, there's so many possible combinations out there that there's gotta be something on there. I haven't seen anything, but the logic in my particular brain leads me to bleed down that path and who knows yeah. it's great fodder though for science fiction. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, certainly sparks the imagination. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Battlestar Galactica. But um, highly recommended from a science fiction buff fan, but also just from like a story. Uh, you know, it's a it's a drama set in space, really. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but the ending very much brings things sort of full circle to some degree, with kind of what you were talking about the evolution of civilizations and where are we at in our you know rise and fall of the, as a species as we kind of go through cycles like that, but. Now we're getting way off track, so we should probably call it. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and leave it there. Um, any final thoughts, Jim? Yeah, just a final thought. I mean, I don't want to like drag us down and be, be depressing, but I mean, look, with all the events that have happened over the past week and the violence, at least that's happened in the United States, it's just, I think that almost everyone despises that, right? Doesn't want that. I think all we can do as individuals or, or one thing that we know we can do is just put love out into the universe and, you know, and not be part of the problem, but also just, you know, maybe, um, you know, try to, try to help people who, who don't have hope or something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like we all have the ability to be positive forces in the universe and, um, you know, that's what I'm going to choose to do. 
Just be a good, decent human being. It doesn't cost anything. And it's a lot easier. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully at some point we'll stop talking about things and actually start doing things. But um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, all right. So that's it for this week. You can catch us, you know, on the web, identityathecenter.com. We're on Twitter at IADAC Podcast. Um, Jim and I had a kind of a cool idea for a potential live stream when we make our triumphant return back to YouTube at IDAC.live. I had a great conversation that uh, uh, with um, uh, someone who, as of right now, is going to be joining us on Monday. I don't want to spoil it just yet or jinx it, but uh, could be an interesting conversation down the road that I think would be great for us, almost like a panel discussion on the live stream. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to figuring out how that would potentially work and who we can get to be part of that. But um, uh, when we get closer to having an idea of what that's all about, you'll definitely hear from it here first. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it for this week. Uh, Jim, thanks as always for your time. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk with you all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.